You know, I look forward to this every single week, this time. And I want you to know, as, as we get into this, and I think I said this last week, but it's just been, it's hit me recently. Like, this just isn't some of our, some of us, this isn't just our thing. Like, it's, it's not like, you know, some people have, you know, you know, soccer, and some people have football, and some people have quilting, and some people have, you know, whatever, dance, or what, and, and there's a few that have a relationship with the Lord. This isn't my thing or a few other people's thing. The Word of God and our Father in heaven is the thing. And everything else, everything else is just kind of added along the way. But we're to make Jesus Christ and His Word our thing. Colossians says Jesus Christ who is our life. What is your life today? This morning as I got ready for the day, I wake up pretty early on Sunday mornings, and I'm sitting there at my kitchen table, and, and our, our patio window faces east, perfectly east, and so we can see the sun kind of rising up. And um, this morning it struck me, some of you may not be aware of this, but, but um, my family and I, we, we made a decision to sell our home. And um, Lord willing, this will be my last Sunday in the home that we've raised our children in for 20-some years, 23 years. We made a decision. When, when we purchased a building in the Spring Mills community, we as a family said, we want to simplify our life and we're moving over into the Spring Mills community. And Lord willing, that'll be happening next weekend. And so this morning as I'm sitting there and I'm watching the sun come, come up in the east, and I thought, Lord, will this be the last time I'll sit here on a Sunday morning as I'm getting ready to go preach at Centerpoint Bible Church? And will this be the last time I'll see the sunrise here? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you've given. And as I looked at that sun, and I, and I, I just marveled at our good, good God. This thought came to me. As beautiful as that sun is, and as beautiful as the sunrise is, and we love those moments, but listen, that's not the image of God. Follow with me. I've had some opportunities to, to hike in some beautiful places. The mountains of Sedona, the mountains of Glacier National Park, up in northern Maine, down in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. I've seen some beautiful sights. Some mountains with sun and with moon and with streams. But none of them are the image of God. Many of us page through Instagram. Maybe it's this way. I'm not really sure. But we go through Instagram and, and we see these beautiful pictures of these beautiful places all over the world. But they are not the image of God. There's only one thing that God made in his own image. And it might shock you to know it's not a sunset. It's not a mountain view. It's not the horizon as you look out at the beach. That's not the image of God. The image of God is found in the person sitting right next to you. It's the fellow human being who gets on your nerves at Walmart who cuts you off on the interstate, 
who you bump into some place and you realize that they may smell bad, they may look bad, they may be bad. They are made in the image of God. Why do we get so excited about sunsets and mountain views and waves and all of that? and disregard the person sitting next to us, standing next to us, standing in front of us, standing behind us, riding down the same road with us, sharing a cubicle at work, the neighbor across the yard, the spouse sleeping in the bed next to you. Why do we disregard them? Jonah chapter 4. Go there with me, would you? You know, Jonah is a surprising book. It's not about a great fish. It's not the whole story. It's a surprising story. It's shocking, really, in many ways. 48 verses about God wanting to reach people. I call it God's impossible account of revival. It's history's greatest revival as far as we know. It's the account of probably the least qualified prophet being used of the Lord to bring about the world's greatest revival where many, many people put their trust in Yahweh. Jonah is an enigma. He just doesn't make sense. He hears from God and says where God tells him to go here, and he goes the opposite direction. He's worse than reluctant. Jonah is rebellious, quite honestly, when it starts. We see in him some ugly traits of human beings. An ugly trait of nationalism that says, my people are the only people, and quite honestly, at times, racism. And a vindictive spirit that wants God to rain judgment upon people that he is deemed as more sinful than himself. And so he's a man of pride. But the truth is, listen, God... God, God inspired this account, these four chapters of this prophet Jonah, for more than just to wow us with these neat stories. It's more than a fish. It's more than a whale, if you want to call it that. It's more than a weed, a worm, or a wind. It's much more than that. In Jonah, we see the nature of man, of human beings, lost or found, unbelieving or believing, we see that nature of the flesh that wants to take care of number one, that's most concerned with self, and can easily, easily drift into not really caring about other people. That's what we see in the book of Jonah. I'll just remind you, just as review, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus knew this was an historical account where Jesus speaks of Nineveh in real, live terms. And more than that, he speaks of the revival that happened there when God worked a miracle of repentance. This was God's plan. We said that Jesus Christ is the ultimate witness that we need, that Jonah is legit, that Jonah is history, that the miracles we find in the book of Jonah, rare though they may be, they are God-working on the earth. We saw that Jonah was commissioned to take the gospel to Nineveh on two different occasions, and through him there were three revivals that happened. One was in the sailors 
two was in Jonah's heart, and three was in Nineveh. We're going to see today four appointments that God makes. Four times God does something special to work out his plan. Jonah travels into Nineveh and preaches in the Hebrew a five-word sermon. And through that, there's revival. We talked about how there's about six different scenes that play out in the book of Jonah. And we're going to look at the last one today. We're in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 1. And, and before I read this, I'm going to remind you what people have identified Jonah as. It's, it's kind of comical to see the different ways that people have described Jonah. Some called him the reluctant prophet, the prodigal prophet, the runaway prophet, the prideful prophet, the cranky prophet. But listen to me. Jonah is the prophet still under construction. Think about that for a minute. How great it is that our God is that patient, not just with the Ninevites, but he's that patient with Jonah. He's patient with Jonah. We're going to see today as we get into this that that Jonah reveals a heart that still needs conformed. Still needs conformed. Following with me, verse number 1, chapter 4. Now remember the context. Nineveh just turned to God. Nineveh heard the preaching of Jonah and repented, and the message spread where even the king of Nineveh repents and calls for a wide repentance across this city, this urban center of hundreds of thousands of people. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What? And he was angry. I'm reading now. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Stop. Jonah says, I knew you'd do this. He's shaking his finger now at God. I knew it. I knew it. Back to the reading. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Stop for a minute from the reading. See, now we know why it happened. We know now. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Tarshish. And we wonder in chapter 1, why? Why did he go the opposite direction? He just told us. He just told us. Because he knew the character of God. I knew what you would do if I went. I knew you'd save this place. Now watch where it sends Jonah. Therefore, verse number 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is suicidal because apparently there's a revival. And the Lord said, and now the Lord asked a question of Jonah. 
Now listen, as you read your Bible, when, jo- when the Lord asks a question, he's not looking for an answer. The, God asks questions to make points. He says, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you have any right to be angry? Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant, and it made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Poor, poor Jonah. Poor thing. He's hot. Poor guy asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Hmm. And that's the end of the book. We long for a chapter 5, don't we? What happened? What happened? We long to hear the rest of the story. Well, let's see if we can't build our way there and figure it out. Let's go to verse number 5. So, I'm sorry, verse number 1. So what's going to happen here is the prophet is going to reveal some things to us, first of all. The prophet's going to reveal some things, and I want us to just walk through these things. I I think they'll go quick for us, but let's walk through these. So what does the prophet reveal? First of all, he reveals his reason for fleeing. His reason for fleeing. And it's basically mercy experienced. Mercy experienced. See, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, that word exceedingly is interesting because what it actually says is that it infuriated him. Your translation may say that. It's a word that means to burn. He burned with anger. So Jonah is angry, yes, but he is burning inside. Burning with anger. By the way, it's the same word in chapter 3, verse number 9. Look there with me, would you? Or turn back a page or, or right next door. And look what it says, verse number 9. Who knows God may turn. This is the king speaking. The king of Nineveh, when he put his trust in God, he says, who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. There's that word. The king recognized that God was angry over their sin. And now Jonah is experiencing the same emotion over their revival. 
what is going on with this guy? See, Jonah knew a truth. Listen to what Jonah knew. Now, it's, it's, it's in your Bible in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. I'm not suggesting that Jonah had this verse because he didn't, but this verse reveals the character of God, and Jonah knew the character of God. Listen to what Peter says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you. Listen, not wishing that any should perish. Jonah knew that. And what he understands at the the beginning of chapter 4 is this. The revival has happened. He has seen or heard of the revival. And that, quite honestly, angers him because mercy is going to be experienced. But can I just help you with something? Look at chapter 3, verse number 10. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. Look what it says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But guess what? Jonah doesn't know that. Think about that for a moment. Jonah doesn't know that God isn't going to rain fire and hail and all that kind of stuff onto the city of Nineveh. He doesn't know brimstone isn't coming their way. All he's seen is their salvation. And he's furious with anger. He wants them to pay. Jonah wants vengeance on the sinner. That's what he wants. Oh, he knows they've turned to God. He's seen it. He's seen the revival in their hearts, but he wants them to pay. And he grits his teeth in anger. Feel familiar? Ever slip into that? Listen, we live in a sinful world. I know. And some of you tell me the stories of things that you experience in your workplace. And I know that I don't have to walk that walk that many of you do. I know that some of you encounter people on a regular basis that not... They're not only not Christians, they hate everything God stands for. Guard your hearts, folks. We must see in Jonah that vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord's. And they never were our enemy. Our battle was not against flesh and blood. These people that Jonah is hating, they're not the enemy. They're captive to the enemy. They're captive to the enemy. How crazy would it be in a wartime for one side to destroy the other and then break into this this area where they're holding people captive and then to slaughter them? Why Why would a winning armor ever slaughter the captives of those that they're opposing? That's who these Ninevites are. They're captive 
to Satan and sin. So why would we hate the captives? We set the captives free. That's what the gospel does. Listen, Nineveh was an evil city. It was an evil city. Less than 50 years from Jonah, these exact, this exact city, the Assyrians, are going to march down into Israel and they're going to take them captive. It's going to happen just shortly after this. And the tribes of Israel that they take captive will never be heard of again until Jesus returns. So there's reason in Jonah's heart. There's reason, humanly speaking, to have this desire for vengeance. But that's not of God. Now I want you to see what it is that was causing Jonah anger because I think if we're honest with ourselves, maybe this is a source of our own. Look what he says at verse number two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Can I just mention to you, I wonder, did Jonah and God have this conversation? It's not recorded in Jonah 1, but Jonah kind of alludes to this back and forth that maybe they were having. And Jonah says, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, the opposite direction. This is why. For I knew that you are, and then Jonah goes through this litany of this description of God. And look what he says. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now that may sound familiar to you. It may have a ring that you think maybe you've heard that before. Let me show you where you find it. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 34. Okay, go back to Exodus 34. Keep your finger in Jonah 4, but go back with me to Exodus 34. And see what this is. This is the Lord telling Moses about himself. And if you look at verse number 6, the Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed, and then God now talks about himself. God reveals his character. Do you see it in 34, 6, and 7? Okay, now that you've found it, I want you to go back to Jonah 4. Go back to Jonah 4. And let me read for you Exodus 34 and see what is missing. Follow? You read Jonah 4 silently now, not out loud, okay? You read over Jonah 4. I'll read Exodus 34. Here's what it says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin. Jonah left something out. What did Jonah leave out? Go ahead and say it faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean? Faithfulness. Now, Jonah chose not to explain this in the divine character of God. He did not, ex he did not say the word faithful. He says the rest of it, but he holds out on faithfulness. This reveals what's going on in Jonah's heart. 
Let me define for you faithfulness. This means you can trust him. God is faithful. That means we can trust him. He will do what he says. It includes the concept of certainty. If God says he will do it, he will. So what is Jonah afraid of? In Jonah's mind, God made a promise. In Jonah's mind, God made a promise, and the promise was he would destroy Nineveh. He would deal with the sin of Nineveh. But did he? What has God done, Jonah is saying. So this, is, this drives Jonah to such a place that he desires death. Verse number three. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you do well to do, do you do well to be angry? So Jonah, verse five, went out of the city. And remember, he doesn't know that God has relented. He doesn't know that God isn't going to destroy Nineveh. He goes up onto the mountainside, east of the city. He makes a booth for himself there. Now, that just means he makes something for shade, is all that means. Okay, he's trying to get out from beneath the sun, and he sits there under the shade to see what should happen to the city. What's he wanting to watch? He wants to watch Nineveh destroyed. Come on, God, wipe them out. See, Jonah's wrestling through something here. And I think maybe this is where, why it is that we see sinners as enemies. Because Jonah didn't understand the balance. He didn't understand grace. Please stay with me here. He didn't understand grace. He didn't understand mercy and justice. Mercy and and justice. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Maybe this will help you. Imagine that some bad person came into your home and did something wickedly evil to one of your loved ones. They burst into the door. They kicked down the door. They, they abuse they, and they, they kill one of your loved ones. I mean, this is life-shattering. My wife, my husband, my child, whatever it is, abused, damaged, killed. The authorities make an arrest. The trial happens. It is obvious. DNA evidence, eyewitness evidence, they are guilty as charged. This bad person who's there in the courtroom with you is absolutely guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt. Twelve of their peers hear the story and they stand up quickly. They deliberate for just a few moments and they come forward and say, guilty, guilty is charged. It's your loved one that this guilty person, this bad person took from you. The judge at that moment stands up, raises his arms there in his robe, says, stop, stop the proceeding. No punishment, none. I take it away. I take away the punishment. How do you feel? The judge says, I give mercy, no punishment. 
you came to this courtroom for justice. You came here for justice and it's been denied. What happened to the blind justice of our system? Can you at least understand how Jonah is feeling? He knows what the Assyrians are capable of. He knows what they have done. I've read the history books. There are things that the Assyrians did to their enemies that honestly, I don't want to read to you. Knowing that children are out of this room, I don't want to bring these images to your mind what they did. It was not uncommon when the Assyrians would march into a community, into a region, that, that they, would, they would just quickly just come and submit themselves. Raise the white flag immediately. Please, be, be merciful to us because of the terrorism that they would bring upon those who were their enemies. Can you understand, Jonah? Can we, can we give him a little bit of credit here for what he's feeling? So what do we do with this? How do we handle this mercy and justice thing that's going on? God says, verse 4, Do you do well to be angry? So let's keep going. We'll answer the question, all right? We'll answer the question. So the Lord now develops these illustrations. Verse number 5. Joe went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the shade that he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord does three miracles, okay, in these next two verses. He appoints this miracle-growing plant, all right? This weed grows up quickly and shades Jonah. And then, God's not done. Now, Jonah really, really likes it. Verse number, let's see, it's small print. Verse number six, this is the first time Jonah's been happy. How do you like that? Verse number six, this is the first time we've heard that Jonah is happy. And now he's exceedingly happy. He is really, really happy. Why? Because he's got shade. Oh, man, this is nice. I can sit back here, I can have my cold drink, and there's a shade over me, and I'm going to watch them burn. I told them to turn, and they, well, they, they did. But they're going to burn. They're going to burn. You can't wait. And God, in love for his son, for his child, for this one that still needs to be conformed, does another miracle. And this miracle is very small. It's a worm. <laughs> that night, God appoints this worm. It's the same word used for the big fish. I can't identify the worm. I have no desire to identify the worm. It's just this worm that God sends. And it's a miracle worm, man. It eats a plant in a morning and it dies. Wow. What a worm. Look what it says. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God now sends a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on that of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. And again he says, is it better for me to die? See, the Lord is illustrating a truth. He appoints three tutors, three tutors, a weed, a worm, and a wind. 
He brings these forward to teach this truth. This is an example of, of God using the creation to teach truth. He does this all the time. We call it general revelation. God uses the sun, the sky, the human body, everything we see to teach us truth. He's doing it in a magical way here for Jonah. He's bringing these things in a miraculous way to teach him truth. And the truth that he wants him to see is the danger of self. The danger of self. Jonah cries out in verse number 6. Look at it with me. See what he says here in verse number 6. The Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. See that word discomfort? That's the exact same word on purpose All the Bible was inspired, every single word, that's the exact same word in verse number 2. Only here, it's translated as disaster. Verse number 2. He prayed and said, O Lord, this is not what I said. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So in Jonah's mind, the hot sun was just as much of a disaster as God sending Ninevites to hell for eternity. My goodness, Jonah's like us. We are so much like Jonah. The danger of self. God is trying to show Jonah his narcissistic tendency, his willingness to compare his own discomfort to Nineveh's damnation. He's contrasting that that Nineveh is spared, destroying the weed, showing a lack of concern in Jonah that he doesn't care. He doesn't care. So what about his desire for justice? What about the fact that they'd sinned? Uh, They had. Listen, that's a question that you may never even thought to ask. But I want to answer it for you. And we got to go into the New Testament. Because the New Testament reveals light. It gives light to what we see in the Old. It's not a new message. But it reveals light to it. Go to Romans chapter 3. we got to clear up that question. I mean, we, we left you in the courtroom. We left you in the courtroom. We're, we're the one that you wanted vengeance over. Just was released. He just received mercy. And you're crying out for justice in your heart. Okay. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse number 23, and I hope maybe now you understand what verse 23 has always been saying to us. Look what it says. Verse number 23 of chapter 3. For all, now I stretched that out. It doesn't actually say that, but you get the idea. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all. You, reader, you, Reader of Romans 3, you're in that all. 
Jonah, he's part of that all. The Ninevites, they're part of that all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are. Now it gets a little bit complicated. I need you to stay with me. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, what's the word forbearance mean? What would be a synonym for forbearance? Patience. That's right. Patience. For in his divine forbearance or patience, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has set faith, his faith that is, in Jesus, who has faith in Jesus. See, here's where we find mercy and justice. Here's what Jonah, he, he wasn't equipped to understand this yet. We can give Jonah some patience. We can give Jonah, Jonah some allowance because he doesn't understand what you know. He doesn't understand what you know. You know how it is that the Ninevites are forgiven? You know how it is that you and I are forgiven? You know how it is that sinners are forgiven? Because for all of the sinner's life, yours and mine, the Ninevites of all time, all people of all the past, God took all that wrath and poured it on his son. Where's the justice? Who paid for the Ninevites? Who paid for that one who the judge said, I give you mercy? Jesus Christ did. This is what the cross is. It's not just a free ticket for you and I to go to heaven. Don't cheapen what Jesus brought. This is why it is that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he forsook the Ninevite sin. That's right. God looked at Jesus. That's what that word propitiation means. That's what it means. That word that we read real quick and you were like, what's that word? That's what it means. It means that God stored up all the wrath that the Ninevites deserved. Where they abused people and they took advantage of people and they took people captive. And God said, I place it on my son. That's where justice is found. I know it may not feel complete to you. It didn't to Jonah either. And it took God bringing a weed, a worm, and a wind 
to bring this truth to bear. And here's the truth. We must recognize this reality. You and I, you look really nice today. It's, you know, you got really dressed up, you, you showered up, you, you cleaned up, you came to church. You look really good today. I'm happy to see you. You're probably a pretty nice person. If I walked up to you and shook your hand, you'd say, hey, how you doing? And you'd really mean to make me think that you were asking how you were doing, wouldn't you? Because you're a nice person. But the total depravity of man means that every single person that you see is fully capable of the absolute worst sin you can ever imagine. God brought Jonah wheat, and when it was gone, he was suicidal. <gasps> I lost my wheat. The Lord had 600,000 people in Nineveh that he loved and was not desirous of them to perish. He loved them more than Jonah ever loved the weed, let me tell you. And Jonah's desire to have them perish was a sad, sad reality. Back to Jonah 4, just to wrap up. God speaks. We're, we're running out of time here. He brings this wind. What's the deal with the wind? Why didn't Jonah get up, man? Why didn't you get up, Jonah? That wind comes. You're hot. You know where the wind won't happen? Down there in Nineveh. Go down into the urban area of Nineveh where the wind isn't blowing. You're hot. Go down there and teach. Go down there and disciple. Go down there and encourage, Jonah. There's been a revival. Go down into the city, Jonah. Go down where the people need to be taught. Go down where the people need to be pointed to Jesus. Go down there, Jonah. You know God, Jonah. Go tell them. They want to hear. The king is just throwing everything against the wall. Let's have a fast. Let's sackcloth. Let's ashes. Jonah, go tell them how to worship. And he doesn't go. Verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there were more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left? Most sure, assuredly, I believe what, what the Lord is identifying here is that city had 120,000 children. This is a euphemism for children. They don't know their right from their left. And this aligns with what we know from, from extra-biblical literature that this is a city of 600,000 people. It's filled with children. And God even mentions the cattle. What's that about? What's that about? God loves his creation, including even those dirty animals. Oh, Jonah, don't call for me to destroy them. They're my creation. Those people were made, this is God speaking, those people were made in my image. Remember where we started. We're looking at the eastern sky as the sun came up and getting all excited about how beautiful it is. Well, the Lord wants to conform us. He knows we have an eye problem. 
our, our gauge of assigning value is broke. And what God wants us to do is to see the people around us who matter to him and therefore matter to his children. Now let me answer a question that you might have. What happened to Jonah? What happened to him? I mean, did he just die there? Well, I can't answer that question with with much authority at all. But I'll give you this idea. How do we ever get the book of Jonah? I mean, who wrote this down? Who recorded the events? Who knew the heart of Jonah? Who was there when he sunk down to the bottom of the ocean the seaweed wrapped around his head? Who was there when the sailors came and cast lots and said, we're throwing you overboard, Jonah? Who was there up on that lonely hillside as Jonah waited for God to rain fire upon Nineveh? I only know of one person. His name was Jonah. What kind of man writes this autobiography? What kind of man writes this story about himself? I believe Jonah turned. I believe that Jonah repented in his own heart and as evidence of that, wrote down his story. Do you need to repent today? I mean, have you slipped into seeing them in us, whoever the them may be? Do you find this spot in your heart wanting vengeance? Come on, God. Do them dirty. That's not of the Lord. That's not of God. That's not Jesus' character. He'll conform you. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. If you come to him in repentance in your heart and say, God, this way is in me and it's wicked and I hate it, will you change it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe we need to practice that right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way you've challenged us as a church with the book of Jonah, preparing us for the future that you have for us, Lord, as a body and as individuals. Break our hearts for those around us who aren't around you yet, Lord. And may we see them not as the enemy, but as captive And we know the one who holds the key. Lord, let us point to you and to be faithful, faithful in that regard. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that you were the propitiation. You received the wrath of God for us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.